0: From Miami Law, I'm Annette Ugez, and this is The Explainer.
1: I'm a little more skeptical about the power of competition in these markets.
0: Welcome to Season 3 of The Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami Law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. In 1983, the U.S. Justice Department ordered the breakup of the Bell Telephone Company, colloquially called Ma Bell. The company, which later became AT&T, provided telephone service to most of the United States and Canada, holding a near monopoly. Today, the big four tech companies, Google, Apple, Amazon, and Facebook, are among the biggest and most profitable companies in the world. Congress, the DOJ, and the Federal Trade Commission are all looking into applying antitrust laws to split them up. With us today is John Martin Newman, Miami Law's new expert of all things antitrust. Newman was a trial attorney at the U.S. Department of Justice Antitrust Division in Washington, D.C., and is an advisory board member of the American Antitrust Institute. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview.
2: Good morning, John. Thanks for kicking off this season
1: with us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Great. Um, So
2: Washington has long been a place enamored of big talk. Is the honeymoon over and was there a last straw? Was it the Nancy Pelosi deep fake video or or Cambridge Analytica, or is it just a constant drip, drip, drip?
1: I do think the honeymoon period seems to be over. Um, there definitely was a honeymoon period. I clearly remember being out in D.C. and talking with a congressional policy staffer and asking him, why haven't we done anything about big tech? This was a while ago, mm-hmm. um, back in about 2015. And he just looked at me and laughed and he said, Google owns this town right now. So that was the honeymoon period. I think it started to end with Cambridge Analytica. And then I think the straw that broke the camel's back and made this a bipartisan area of concern was uh, the beliefs espoused by some on the right that their uh, content, their social media presences were being actually censored by Google, by Twitter. So that's where you saw not just concern from the left, but concern from the right. And that, I think, combined to end that honeymoon period. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, especially on the left, those were big donors to, to Democratic congressional leaders.
1: Absolutely. And I think you also saw, you know, setting aside the, the role of just money as money, um, I think you also saw a style of governing that seemed to match pretty well with some of the beliefs out in Silicon Valley. And that was uh, this kind of technocratic belief that if we just have enough data and if we just have the smart enough engineers in place, we can fix any problem. So if that's your style of governing, if that's your belief in how politics should work in this country, then Silicon Valley is your, your clearest ally, right? Because they have all the data and they have all the smart engineers. So I think you saw not just the role of money. These are very wealthy, powerful corporations that we're talking about. But I think you also saw a nice alignment of a belief in technocracy in uh, the power of data and the power of number crunching to solve political problems. I think that combined with the money um, is what led to that, that honeymoon period in DC.
2: Mm -hmm. We talked in the opener about, about Ma Bell as kind of being the seminal case of, uh, of taking down a monopoly Uh, and the big tech doesn't really fit into that. So how do current antitrust laws fall short and Because they really address pricing and that doesn't apply here.
1: Yeah, this looks a lot different than I think the classic, classic antitrust cases like the AT&T breakup or even going further back to the dawn of antitrust, the standard oil breakup Um, there, as in the Ma Bell situation, you had prices that we could look at and say, well, I think these would be lower if we had more competition. That's a pretty straightforward, easy argument to make. Um, I think the better analogy might be to that Microsoft case that was brought in the late 1990s. And if we think back to that case, uh, you know, there's a a lot of talk about what that might have meant, whether it worked, whether it didn't work. But the basic core theory of the case was that Microsoft was squelching competition in the Internet browser space in order to protect its operating system. Well, the Internet browser space then, as now, was a zero-price market. That actually looks surprisingly like some of the services offered by Google, Twitter, Facebook that are supposedly free.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so you think that the whatever applied to Microsoft can be applied here or do we need to tweak,
1: I tweak think the law to address? With antitrust where there's a will, there's there's a way. Antitrust is this very supple body of law. It was written by Congress. The initial antitrust statutes were written by Congress in a very broad way. They don't mention anything about prices or output or any of these kind of neoclassical economic terms that get thrown around a lot today. So I think the doctrine itself is supposed to be very flexible to allow room for judges uh, and lawyers and economists to apply antitrust laws to new business models. And I think that's what you saw in Microsoft. People took a look at what was going on, even though it lacked prices and felt very unfamiliar. They said, I still think we can see a harm to this competitive process that we would expect to see. And they brought a case and they won.
2: Mm -hmm. And where are we in the moving ahead legally, you know, in the courts on, on dismantling these companies or splitting them up, not dismantling them?
1: I think we need to separate where we are in, within the regulatory agencies and, as you said, within the court system. So I think within the regulatory agencies, there is broader recogn- recognition today than there was five years ago that even though you don't have prices, these are still markets. And in fact, they're very important markets. So we've seen a lot of activity within the agencies. Um, You've seen DOJ launching investigations. You've seen the FTC launching investigations. You saw the FTC take action against Facebook for violating its uh, promises to keep our data private. Um, So I think within the agencies, you're seeing some activity, but at the end of the day, if they try to bring a serious case, they're gonna have to go to court. And that's where I'm a little troubled by the current state of antitrust law and by the judges and justices in place. So the court, the Supreme Court's most recent antitrust case, Ohio v. American Express, which I worked on while I was at DOJ, these are my views, not the Department of Justice's, uh, was really troubling. It was a really not well thought through opinion. It reverted back to the insistence on prices and output and that sort of old style of analysis. So that's troubling. You we want the the judges in place to be able to be flexible and 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 not just be welded to the old way of doing things.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, That addresses one side of of the dark side of of big tech. Um, How do we address the other side, the the data surveillance, the privacy and revenge porn, fake news, propaganda? Do we go to like a European model of the GDPR?
1: That's a great question. So some people think that antitrust will solve everything. If you just introduce more competition into these markets, that'll solve the fake news problem. Um, that'll solve the privacy problem. I'm a little more skeptical about the power of competition in these markets on its own. I think if you have a thoughtful approach to how to structure these markets differently, then maybe competition could work. But taking fake news, for instance, part of the real problem with fake news is that everyone gets siloed into their own little world and the marketplace of ideas can't function well. The reason it gets siloed is that these companies... Uh, social media platforms, use algorithms to deliver us individually what we want to see. So if siloing is part of the problem here, then breaking up uh, Facebook, for instance, into multiple little silos might actually end up worsening a problem like fake news. So I'm a big believer in competition generally. I'm not sure it's the perfect solution in these markets. So maybe we do look at something like a GDPR plus competition regulation. So privacy plus antitrust together. I think that might be a better holistic response to the problems we're seeing.
2: Can you talk a little about what that, the European model is?
1: So the GDPR, uh, like the name suggests, focuses on... What da- does that mean? <laughs> the General Data Protection <laughs> Regulation. <me>. Uh, <laughs> and it's really about data protection. It's, it's often called a privacy uh, regulation, but probably a more accurate way to describe it would be a data protection regulation. So what it does is impose certain requirements on companies that are storing data to protect it and to not go out and use it and and leak it out into the marketplace to sell it to third parties without, at the very least, getting real consent from users. And what they've done now uh, in some of the member states of the EU as they're applying this GDPR is actually couple it with antitrust like we were talking about Mm -hmm. a minute ago. So Germany, for instance, uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. The Bundeskarte Very good. <laughs> the German competition authority, actually took action against Facebook not too long ago. And it was for a combined antitrust GDPR violation. So what the German enforcers did was say, first off, Facebook is so powerful that we think uh, user consent isn't really valid consent here. It's their only option is to use Facebook. So we're going to start from that antitrust or competition perspective and then say, When Facebook goes on to violate the GDPR as well, it's a kind of combined antitrust GDPR violation. So it is this nice holistic look at what's going on in these markets.
2: And would that be easy to apply in the U.S. or we just have a different mindset on things like
1: this? I think it would be difficult. It would take a, a radical shifting in the way that we think about how markets can work and how they should work. I think we have a an attitude that just if we can just unleash competition, the free market will solve just about any problem. And I think that's more or less true when you're talking about something like wheat or concrete, a very simple, homogenous product. Um, it gets a lot more difficult when we're talking about an incredibly complex product like social media. What even is that, right? It's a lot of things to a lot of people. So I think in the U.S. it would take a a wholesale recognition that these markets are not like the markets that we're more familiar with. They're going to take a lot more thought on our end as to how they should be structured.
2: Got it. Um, So what needs to change? Is there, is there a correction that can be implemented or this has all gone way too far to ever claw back and and fix as I asked the man with the flip phone?
1: <laughs> well, one thing we could change, uh, we in the legal community, we in technology spaces, uh, is the language that we use to talk about these markets and these problems. And one of my... my uh, biggest pet peeves, I guess I'll call it. One of my biggest pet peeves is the word consumer. Mm-hmm. We talk about consumers of Facebook. We talk about consumers of Google. And we talk about consumers just generally a lot in this country. If you look at how often courts have used the word consumer over time, it spikes in the 1970s. And it's something like 4% of all U.S. cases mention the word consumer. Well, think about what a consumer is. A consumer is kind of passive. A consumer is not a, a citizen. A consumer just is a consumer of products and resources. So I think one of the things that might need to change is the way that we even just talk about these problems, shifting from a consumer welfare standard, which is what we've used in antitrust, Mm -hmm. to a citizen welfare standard. How can we think about this problem from a more democratic mindset?
0: Well, thanks so much for joining
1: us. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for joining us at The Explainer. If you like the show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Ugez. Today's show was brought to you by Miami Law's upcoming Petty Offenses Symposium held on the Coral Gables campus September 20th and 21st. The conference explores the use of litigation, international to local human rights advocacy, and creative campaigning. For more information, visit law.miami.edu.